Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Um, my favorite person right now is the reindeer looking like lady right behind you there, Pastor Jonathan. You look amazing. Yes. Welcome to church. Um, I want to welcome again those of you who are guests and visiting us today. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your Christmas celebrations today. And really do hope that you feel welcomed and that you feel at home. Um, we've been on this series entitled, He is Here. And today, I want to conclude the series by talking to you on the subject of possessing a living hope. Possessing a living hope. The reality is, not all hope is alive. There's some hope that is dead. And the characteristic of hope that is dead is that most of the time, our hope is dead when we depend on wishful thinking instead of living by faith. Our hope is dead when we tend to try and escape the realities and the problems of life instead of allowing God to use all of life to mature us, to be like Him in all things. But living hope is powerful. Hope itself is powerful. It is the ability to see light in the midst of utter darkness. It is the ability to see redemption in the midst of judgment. The ability to have an eternal perspective in the midst of temporary situations. That is living hope. It is powerful. And the only way that you can realize the depth of the power of hope is when you realize that God, in fact, when you have a joyful expectation that God will be good to you all the days of your life. God will be good to you all the days of your life. Even when you wake up and you don't feel good or you don't feel that he is good, he still is good. He's not dependent on your feelings as to whether he will change who he is to you. He has chosen to be before time what he is to you now and what he will be for you tomorrow and what he was for you yesterday. He continues to be good. Living hope allows us to live in this joyful expectation that he continues to be good to us over and over and over again. But the problem is our definition of God's goodness. You see, some of us think that God is good when we get what we want. Those are some parents right there saying amen because they know they didn't get the kids the right gift. <laughs> I just saved you a whole afternoon of drama right there. Just make sure your kids are listening. We tend to think, I tend to think, that God is good when he does what I want him to do. But the Bible says something different. God is good when God gets what he wants for your life. That's when God is good. He's not good when you get what you want. He's good when he gets what he wants for you. And trust me, you want what he wants for you, not what you want for yourself. And being able to realize that he is good allows us to look towards him and all that he does for the sustenance of our souls. 
I wish sometimes God could do things my way. And then when I do get things my way, I am so apologetic that I got things my way. I realize that my understanding of the situation was limited to my need and my want. But he's good. Knowing that he is good allows us to access a level of hope in all situations because we know that there will never be a day when God's goodness will not follow you all the days of your life. Today, I want to help you to possess a living hope by understanding three very simple principles that are outlined in this text that we're going to read in Luke 2, chapter 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 14. Do you mind standing with me as we read this text together? Let's read from verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. And lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Lord, thank you for your word. This day, this Christmas day, we thank you that as your word is spoken, you come and you do your work in us and through us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The context in this verse, these verses, is the birth of Jesus. And he outlines, Luke, when he writes this text, three things, three principles that I think are essential to us possessing a living hope. One, we need to have a hope that is founded in the good news. Two, we need to have a hope that is expressed with great joy. And three, we need to have a hope that is accessible for all people. When Christmas was celebrated way back when Jesus was born, it was not celebrated the way we're celebrating it now. No one was in anticipation of the great cooking that was going to take place for five hours from now, depending what family you come from. Anyway, I, I gave you a chance yesterday to choose another family, but you didn't choose it. No one was in anticipation of the kind of chats, laughter, arguments that were going to happen over Christmas. The meal, the kids running around singing hymns, those of you who sing hymns, you know, Jess wearing elf stockings, the whole lot of things that we do now that they didn't do when Jesus was born. Instead, when Jesus was born, it was in a manger that smelled like animal dung, smelled like animal poo. And here in this place is this ministry again of God's goodness. That somehow we can miss God's goodness when it's wrapped in a manger. We can
can miss the gift of God when it's wrapped in circumstances that aren't worth liking. And we can think that somehow God's gift, God's goodness has gone a-begging, has gone amiss. Because all of a sudden, we are stuck in a manger with a baby swaddled in clothes that were used for old milk, smelling, wrapped in a manger. Jesus positioned in the same place where the animals would come and feed their food. Now all of a sudden, the king of the universe is swaddled in a manger. I love the way God thinks. I love the fact that he doesn't think the way we think. That when Jesus should have come to the world in a palace driving a Bentley, here he is with two parents who are more confused than excited. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Until that first cry, you think you know what you're going to do. And then when they cry for the first time, you're just looking at the nurse like, what? Oh, I'm supposed to hold the baby? (laughs) That's what happened to me the first two times. That's the last time I'm doing it, I think. (laughs) Jesus is a gift wrapped in a manger. God is not trying to boast to the world, but he's allowing the world to see that he is different from any other God that they might have come across. And here he is wrapped in a manger, and the angel rocks up. It says, while the shepherds were watching their flocks by night, the sky exploded with praise. And the angel came and he said to the shepherds, I bring you good news. And watch the progression. That will give you great joy. And it will be for all people. But the beginning place of hope has to be the good news that you allow yourself to hear. Again, if there is good news, they must be bad news. So here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is now the center of all things that have to do with salvation. The center. Bad news is when you place yourself at the center of all things that have to do with salvation. Bad news is when you place money at the center of everything that has to do with your salvation. Bad news is when you place the gift that you're going to get today under the tree as the center of your salvation. If I don't get that PlayStation, if I don't get that Barney thing, I don't say dinosaur, I don't know what it is, it's a thing. Something is wrong in my life. The good news is the center of your hope. What are you placing your hope on today? Is it on the good news that Jesus is the center of your salvation? That he came, John 1, wrapped in the form of a man, weakened in the form of a man, and he, and he becomes the word in flesh, the word incarnate. He lives among us, and in so doing, he obeys God in everything. He is perfect in every single thing he does. He obeys his parents. He eats his vegetables. He doesn't watch weird things on TV. He's amazing all the time. And then he dies a painful death that we, who are not amazing all the time, should have died. This good news 
is then crescendoed by the fact that not only does he die for our sins, but he is now raised with power. He stands with no one able to defeat him. He's supreme in every single thing that he is and does. This is the good news. If your life is based on this good news, then you have access to a living hope. You have access to a hope that's not dependent on time or situation. You have access to a hope that 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 5 says this about. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Your inheritance is founded in this good news. It is kept in a safe place that no man, no mammoth can get towards. It is kept just for you. If you would base your life and your hope on the good news. How many of you ever received a gift like this uh, growing up? Those of you laughing, you did receive. What did you think was in this gift when you got this gift? Any takers? Yes, I can hear it. You knew that for Christmas, your parents bought you stationery. That you knew. When you got something like that, you knew it's nothing but pens, sellotape, and that book that you have to write on. You knew things are rough. Okay? Now, when you go home and you see this, smile and wave. Because, right, your parents want you to study hard, work well. You're going to be great. That's what's happening under the Christmas tree for some of you today. It's going to be great. And when you got gifts that look like this, you knew it's on. Man, I'm getting it. That thing I told them about five years ago, I did not know I'm getting it today. Because look, the present looks awesome. It's wrapped nice. You even got ribbons and stuff. Ribbons only came out recently. We never had that like 10 years ago. It came out recently. When the ribbon is there, you know it's at least over 2,000 rand. You're not going to waste ribbon on something that's 50 rand. No, this is at least 2,000 rand gift that's happening right here. Right? God is different from us. He's not concerned much about the wrapping of the good news than the good news itself. He's not concerned how he has positioned the good news for you. That somehow the good news must be wrapped in a way that you love, that you think is great. It must be filled with these boxes so that you know I'm getting everything that I want because it's wrapped in the way that I want it to be wrapped. He's not concerned by how he wraps the complicated problems, pains of your life. He's concerned about your response to them. That when you open the gift, regardless of what's inside, will you worship? Will you respond? Will you give praise? Will you give your life? Will you give yourself? Or will you say, like the Bible says, oh no, the gospel is foolishness to those who don't believe it. Because they saw the way it was wrapped and they thought to themselves, no way. There's no way that my life would change if I allow Jesus to come into my heart 
There's no way that my marriage will change if I allow Jesus to come into my life. How many Christians have tried this and they failed? There is no way. Look at the wrapping of this gift of salvation. No way I'm going to take it. I'll wait for the gift that is wrapped in the wrapping that I like, and then only will I receive a gift from God. Don't be fooled by the way things are wrapped around you. Because hope in the beginning was wrapped in a manger. It wasn't wrapped in a palace. It wasn't wrapped in beautiful wrappings. It was wrapped in a manger. But that hope became the hope of the world. If you want living hope, you need your life to be founded on the good news that Jesus is the one who saves you from all things. Free yourself today from trying to save yourself. You will never be able to. Because you only try and save yourself of the things that you actually are okay to talk about. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, this brother man right here who's eight years old, Andaline's son, he knows what I'm doing. He just put up his hand. Don't, 12. 12. I'm sorry, buddy. 12. He knows. He doesn't want to save himself. Thank you, buddy. Don't save yourself because you always choose what you like over what's uncomfortable. Don't save yourself. Don't let other things save you. Because when you try to let money save you, when it runs out, you will complain. You will start doing weird things. We tend to call that corruption. <laughs> Why? Because you have thought that money will save you. That money will save your nation. That money will save your city. That money will save your business. You have thought somehow that there is something that is above God in understanding and above God in power that is able to do more than what the cross has been able to do for you 2,000 years ago. You have thought that you have it within yourself and the situations around you have the means to bring the freedom not only for this life but for eternity. But fellas, we all know when we die, Everything gets left behind. And we walk into an eternity with the gospel or without it. It is this that we can base our hope on because it allows us to go through all seasons of life in a joyful expectation that he will be good in and through it all. Next point is this. Living hope is expressed with great joy. It's expressed with great joy. In Luke 2 verse 11, it speaks about how Jesus, who was being born, is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. This is the only time throughout all of Scripture where these three descriptors of Jesus are in one sentence. You don't find it anywhere else in the Bible where he describes Jesus in, three, in these three words in one sentence. And I want you to understand that the reason why we can be joyful is not only because of the hope that's coming, but we can be primarily joyful because of who He is. That He is Savior. That He has saved you from your shame, from your guilt. The ability for you to scrub the shame of your life cannot happen. He's the one who's able to make you whiter than snow. He's not only Savior, but He's Christ. In other words, He's the anointed one. He's the one that God chose. That when He dies on the cross, it will be enough for you. 
There is nothing you've done or do or currently are doing on your phone right now. You know who you are. That he hasn't paid the price for. And he's Lord. Now, sometimes when you use this word Lord in our context, we think of it as, as oppressive. That he's the ruler, he's the master, he's the owner, he's the controller. And we tend to look at the word Lord through our cultural lens and where we come from as a nation and go, ooh, I don't think I want the Lord stuff. That's not what the Bible describes Lord. In fact, anything that is not under lordship, you will never get freedom from. It is only the thing that you decide to put under his Lordship, to put under the tree, Christmas tree of Lordship, if you will, that will get freedom. Whatever it is that you're struggling with right now, it is a Lordship decision. It is a Lordship decision. It is not a willpower decision. It is not a, oh, I hate the world, the world hates me decision. No, it is a Lordship decision. Whatever is under his Lordship, you will find freedom. This next verse says this, Romans 15, 13 says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see, see what the scripture is saying. It's saying that he comes and he fills you with joy after you have trusted in him. In other words, when you worship, he responds by pouring out joy and peace. When you worship, it's like being a wide open vase saying, I'm here, pour out onto me what I can't pour out upon myself. When you trust him, when you realize, man, you're my savior, you're my Lord, you're my Christ. There is no one else that I can put my trust in. When I trust in him, he promises to return my trust with the fullness of his joy. What are you trusting in today? Because whatever you're trusting in today is what you are deriving the most joy from. Whatever you're trusting in today is what you are depending on to find peace. Whatever you're trusting in today is what will depict whether you will be joyful throughout your life or miserable throughout your life. Trust in him, in who he says he is, and he pours out his joy and his peace upon your life. How many of you ever come to church, on your way to church, you and your wife or husband have a miraculous fight? And I say miraculous, you know, it's God ordained or something like that. I don't know what's happening, but something is happening in the car. Fighting with your kids, fighting with your wife, and you come to church, you start worshiping. While you're worshiping, by the way, normally you worship like this. This time you're just worshiping like this. I don't want to touch <laughs> Right? Ever had that? And you start worshiping. The deeper you go and worship, all of a sudden, you find your hand just holding her back because she's always in trouble. She's <laughs> okay, she's there. Never mind. <laughs> right? I don't know about you, but whenever I've come into a place of worship, afterwards it's hard for me to stay angry at my wife. It's hard for me to still keep that thing that I had towards her, that disagreement. Now I'm going, you know, let's just talk about this because it's not worth the fight. I just worshiped and I realized there's something way bigger than me being right. Yeah. 
I know that rhyme, Pastor Roger. There's something way bigger than me being right. But I turn around and I love on her and something changes. You see, I, I've come to realize this as I close on this point, that joy is the way you protect your hope. It really is. Joy is the way you protect your hope. It's like when, when, when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like loving your spouse, but you keep reminding yourself of all the hours, the time she has prayed for you. And something rises up in you. You're like, oh, no, not today. I'm not going to make a stupid decision today. Today, I will love her just like I loved her yesterday. And allow joy to protect the gift that God has given me. I got saved when I was 16. I, I never thought in my wildest dreams I would be doing what I'm doing. In my wildest dreams, I shouldn't be here. But when I got saved, when, when heaven invaded my life and changed everything, all of a sudden I found myself being caught in this place of constantly trying to decide whether to keep this gift or not. And every time I would turn and remember what God did when I was 16, that joy would come back in my soul. And the decision to leave the place of grace becomes harder to do when I remember what he has done for me. I know some of you are veterans today. You've heard better Christmas sermons than, than this. <clears throat> but I hope you make a better decision this Christmas than you made last Christmas. It doesn't matter what kind of sermon you hear. I hope that this Christmas you are so filled with the joy of what he did for you. As much as you're a veteran, as much as you expect this and want this, and sometimes you become more of a consumer than a disciple. Yeah. And it becomes about what I get from church than what I'm supposed to be as the church. I hope and I'm not saying this because I stand on this side of the pulpit. I am part of this church. I know what it's like to sit in the front row and be a consumer of what's happening up here. And I lose sight of why he saved me in the first place. You know what happened? It's because you lost joy. And when you lost joy, you lost wonder. And when you lose wonder, you become in danger of losing the gift. Don't lose joy. Allow the joy to constantly be present in your relationship with God. Constantly be present in your relationship with one another. Allow wonder to be protected. Hope to be protected. That even in the midst of trials, I love the song we're singing today. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. I love the fact that the psalmist is saying, rejoice before he comes. Don't rejoice after he comes, though you should. But rejoice before he comes. Because of the one who's told you he's coming. Rejoice. This is why the Bible continuously encourages us to live with the disposition of joy. Last point is that hope is accessible for all. The Bible says that the angels appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds in those times were not great people. They were looked at as irreligious people because they were so concerned about their sheep that they never attended any religious functions. 
So they were looked at as like an outclass. And some of them were thieves that stole sheep from that person and stole that from that person. And so they were ostracized in culture. It is not a coincidence that the angels appear to the shepherds. Because here's the point that God is trying to make. That this good news, this great joy is not just for those who are clean. Those who do everything right. Those who know, who behaved well throughout the year, so today they're going to get great Christmas presents. No, this good news, great joy, is for all. It's for those who came here today hoping to hear something different, but are still cynical in their hearts because, ah, I know what Christian people are going to say anyway. It's for you. This good news, great joy, is for you. It's for those who despise what Christianity stands for, who despise the Bible and the good news, who think it's foolishness. This good news and great joy is for you. The reason why the angels would appear to shepherds is to allow them to know that they were welcome in the manger. Do you know if Jesus was born in a palace, only a few privileged would come? Only those who were uppity, who, who had the resources, had the networks, would be able to see him. But God allows him to be born in a manger so that the whole world would know that everybody's welcome. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, what you have and what you don't have, you are welcome in the manger. The one place where, where hope is lying. Go to the scripture for me. This quote by C.S. Lewis I love it. It says, the self-aware people are in no danger of finding their present life so satisfying that they cannot turn to God. The proud, the self-righteous, however, are in danger. You see, the shepherds had no reason to look at their life and go, you know, we don't need God. We've got a good life. But there's a danger when you can look at your life and go, you know what? I think I'm fine. I think I've got enough investment and life happening, that I don't really need all this gospel crutch. There is a danger in assuming that you don't need God. Job 8 verse 13 says, The same happens to all who forget God. Their hopes of the, God, the hopes of the godless evaporate. So, the closer you are to God, the stronger your hope is. The further you are from God, the more likelihood that your hope will evaporate. This hope that you have in Christ, the further you are from Him, it begins to evaporate. Today, make the choice to turn to God. Regardless of where you find yourself in the scale of righteous. Regardless of where you find yourself in the scale of unrighteous. No matter where you are, make the choice to turn to God. When you turn to him, he will strengthen your faith. He will allow your faith to come alive. He will allow your hope to come alive. And when your hope is alive, you can see things that other people don't see in the midst of your circumstances. I want to close with this. Um, it was Monday, right, when the ANC had a voting thing. Was it this Monday? I was at a friend's place, um, and we were watching the results, and SMSs were coming from everywhere. I wanted to say around the world, but I'm not that important. Everywhere. 
right? SMS is galore. Hey, what do you think? What do you, I'm so happy, I'm sad. No, ha, everything. And I'm sitting there with my friends. I'm not going to say what happened in that house. And we were watching, and one of the people in the house had someone in the rally, in the, in the ANC rally. Um, in fact, it was his brother who was there, and he was sending, you know, messages. Oh, it's so, it's so hectic in here. Oh, no, no, this is happening now. Oh, I don't think this is going to happen, you know? So we're all sitting there with bated breath, you know, waiting. And then the results come out, and more SMSs start coming in. I shut my phone down. So good, right? Here's the reality. I know... As a nation, we think that what happened in that room is going to change our lives. And the reality is, it probably will change some of our lives. But it will change it for a season. Because princes come and go. And here's the problem in putting your hope in that room. Is that you will depend on another room very soon. You will be waiting for another room to appear. When is the next voting moment? Because we need someone else to be voted in. From one room to another. Oh Lord, please. Hopefully this room is where hope lies swaddled in a manger. No. You will not find a room that will have hope swaddled in a manger in those conferences. As much as we should vote, as much as we should do all those wonderful things, where you will find hope is in the good news of Jesus. And it allows us, here's the thing, it allows us that whatever happens, left or right, our disposition doesn't change. I love what uh, Napoleon Bonaparte says. He says, leaders are dealers of hope. Ah, I love it. That we, our job is not to sit and criticize what's happening. Our job is to deal hope, find places where people are hopeless because a decision was made, and, and barter hope with their lives. God, listen, let me tell you something. There is something better than this room. You need this. This thing that I have, you need this. But when they find us locked up in our own rooms going, oh, the world is over. We have missed our calling to be a people of a living hope where people can see hope vibrating in and through us that they can't help but go, why are you happy in the midst of X? Why are you still hopeful in the midst of X? Here's why I'm hopeful. Because the good word says so. The good word says this, that all princes will come and go, but his word will never end. And this is what I base my life upon, my economy upon. My life is based on this good news, which tends to bring me great joy. And I know it is for you as well. It is for you as well. I hope as we go and have Christmas conversations that will be dealers of hope today. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the dessert. If you have lemon meringue, send me an SMS. I'm coming. <laughs> enjoy everything you need to enjoy. Find an opportunity to deal hope in someone's life today.